0: Welcome to Theology Talk. The goal is actually pretty simple. We just want to think God's thoughts after him. So if you have questions about what the Bible actually says, or you've got some fear, anxiety, and worry about what's happening in our world, and you want to know what God thinks so that you can think rightly and do rightly, this podcast is for you. Okay, so who's the greatest of all time? Michael Jordan or LeBron James? Uh, here's another one. What is the most superior device? An Android or an iPhone? Uh, how about this one? Um, what is the most successful or most important superhero franchise? Are you a Marvel person or a DC person? Uh, here's another one. Um, are you more of a mountains person like like vacation yes let's go to the mountains or uh, nah miss me with the mountains i think i would rather be at the beach give me the beach and the ocean like like what would you rather have the mountains or the sea and the sand w- which one are you now, inevitably, already, probably in the comments section and in all the places that you can respond right now, you have strong opinions. For instance, um, if you have wisdom, you know that Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time. There ain't no uh, debate about it. Now, I know all you LeBron fans are out there you're like, hey, Joel, that's not fair. Look how long he's played. Look, like, hey, I'm not going to hold that against you. Absolutely. Longevity is super, super important. Um, but you know who never saw a game seven? in his entire career, Michael Jordan. You know who lives to play in a game seven and lose for the most part? LeBron James. All right, I'm gonna leave it at that. Okay, um, iPhone. Andrew, we can go on and on. You'll have a very specific kind of feeling about it. And if you encounter someone who has the opposite feeling about this, then that person and you will inevitably disagree. Disagreement. How many times are we in a disagreement with somebody, our loved ones, random people out at games that we're watching uh, with our favorite sports teams? Like, like disagreement happens all the time. I mean, heck, disagreement takes place in social media, in the comments section. Disagreement is everywhere all around us. You know what I think is absolutely fascinating to me? Um, people can disagree about all these things are you an mj lebron iphone android sees, uh mountains you know like you can have all kinds of disagreements and then at the end of that it would be like hey you want to go and grab dinner yeah let's do that you know like you can have disagreements about these types of things and then typically typically You can absolutely have a relationship with these people. You can be friends with these people. You can go out and overcome your differences. But um, what I think is so tragic, I'm just going to say it this way. What I think is so tragic is the challenge that we as Christians have when it comes to disagreeing with each other. Like, have you just thought about why does it seem so difficult for Christians to disagree well, to be able to live in the tension of you've got an opinion on something, I've got an opinion on something, and we have come to an impasse. And in the midst of that impasse, like, hey, we're not going to see eye to eye, but we can still live in relationship with each other. Now, this is much more complicated and complex than I'm I'm just kind of saying, and we're going to get into some of that, but the larger principle is that for the most part, if we are part of the same family, we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the risen one from the grave, that he is the Messiah, the anointed one, then why can't we all just champion and gather around his banner and say, yeah, there are some details of doctrine that we might see differently, but seeing things differently doesn't deny the deity of Christ. It doesn't deny the foundations of what the gospel actually is that actually brings people from different backgrounds and different ethnicities and different social structures, like like that brings them together to form one new family. And so I started with some kind of interesting comparisons, right? Like, are you MJ LeBron? Let me ask some other questions. Do you believe in speaking in tongues or not? about this? Here's a touchy one. Your eschatology. Do you believe that there's going to be an actual rapture? Oof. Um, You know? And now you're like, wait a minute. Is Joel actually going to try and tell me that there's no rapture? Uh, I may, but not in this episode. Um, How about this one, are miracles for today or have the miraculous gifts ceased? There are two different positions on that, cessationists and continuationists. How about this, should you baptize infants or should you only baptize adults? In other words, are you a paedobaptist? baptist Did you believe in the baptism of infants? Or are you a credo-baptist that you think there has to be a profession of faith before you baptize someone? Like these are all types of questions that have actually thought the course of church history created fractures and has created infighting and division. Uh, I want to say this as just a blanket statement because it's true. All division divides. All division divides. But y'all, that should not be true for the family of God. Think of Jesus and his um, high priestly prayer in John 17. These are some of the very last words that he says to his disciples, even to you and I today, as he is watching and looking and feeling the tension of the cross in front of him. This is what Jesus says in John 17. I'm going to start in verse 20. Jesus says, I pray not only for these, but also for those. Like, Okay, just a quick detail. I can't help myself. When Jesus is praying, he's actually extending the scope of who he is praying in mind with like he doesn't just have the disciples that he is thinking of he's actually thinking of you and I today because he's talking about not just for these not just for the immediate disciples or the immediate audience but also for those who believe in me through their word like there is a 100% chance that you and I are here today now because of our faith in Jesus the Messiah because of the faithfulness of these disciples these Faithful men and women that were willing to die for the sake of their belief in jesus and jesus 's miraculous victory over sin and death like like their fortitude of faith has created a legacy for you and I to to be able to be witnesses of that gospel today this is what jesus is praying i pray not only for these but also for those who believe in me through their word and what is their word their word is nothing more than the testimony of the word john chapter one that jesus is the word notice what he says now he says may they all be one as you father are in me and i am in you the goal here is unity May they be one. But I think that again, super fascinating. May they be one as you father, father. So he's talking to God the father. We know that this is Trinitarian. God the father, God the son, and God the spirit. They are one in essence and, and distinct in person. L- listen to this that, that they may all be one as you father are in me. So the father is not the son. The son is not the father, but they are, fo- they are both Yahweh. They are both God, coexistent and coeternal that um, they may be one as you father are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that they, so that the world may believe you sent me. Now, if you just play this out, and had a diagram. I was like, okay, here, the father in Jesus, we are in Jesus because we are in Jesus. We're in both the father and the son. Okay. Wild insert mind blown emoji. The connecting piece is Christ. How do we have our life in Christ, our life in the Father? How do we find ourselves in the kingdom of God? Because we are rooted in the life of Christ. And if you and I are rooted in the life of Christ, then there needs to be unity. Why? Because this is exactly what the Godhead has modeled to us before creation even started. Like, like, like pre-existing, the Godhead has been unified. This is what Jesus continues to say. In verse 22, I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. And then he repeats the same idea. I, so Jesus is in them, in you and I, and and you are in me, so the Father is in Jesus, so that they may be made completely one. This unity is for oneness that the world may know there's a cost and a consequence to our oneness that the opposite is also true. There's a cost and a consequence to our division that the world may know. You have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. I think what's so important here is to see that the type of unity that Jesus has in mind is a type of unity that retains your distinction individually and uniquely and celebrates that distinction within the unity of the family of God. In the same way that the Father is uniquely the Father and the Son is uniquely the Son and the Spirit is uniquely the Spirit. And yet they are one in essence. They are, they are the God, Godhead. This model is also true for you and I. You are exactly who you are, the way that God has made you, designed you, wired you to think the way that you think, to, um, to feel the way that you feel, to perceive the world in such a way that you perceive the world so that it might actually be a benefit for God's people, so that it actually might be a, a means of encouragement to your fellow brothers and sisters. And this is the consequence here, the cost here, so that, that you would be a winsome witness to the world of the goodness of Jesus. Um, so uh, th- this is the, the big idea, that Jesus longs for the unity of his people. Unity is a winsome witness to the world Of the truth of the goodness of the kingdom of God and the victory of Christ. So, how do we have unity? We actually learn how uh, to have unity by learning how to disagree well without creating unnecessary division. So, how do we have unity? We learn to have unity by learning how to disagree well without creating unnecessary division. Notice I said unnecessary. Now, this is very, very important. Uh, Sometimes, A type of division or separation is acceptable and helpful for the larger pursuit of the kingdom of God, but not at the level of demonizing or alienating other denominations or members of the family of God in totality. I'm going to get into this in just a little bit. But to start, one of the things that I think is seriously lacking in so many conversations amongst Christians is a phrase that has become popularized recently, but I think still needs to be pursued as a constant practice. It's this concept of theological triage. This idea of triage comes from the medical world, the medical field, where it wants you to imagine that um, there is somebody who is in a biking accident. And because of the biking accident, the ambulance has been called. And so you've got this individual, this victim who is on the ground, has been hit by a car. His bike is, you know, who knows where. And he's here and there's this massive scene and the ambulance comes up and the paramedics get out. What do the paramedics do? The first thing they're going to do is they're going to triage the scene. They're going to evaluate the injuries. So let's just say that um, the individual is bleeding out from an artery, right? And you've got like minutes. If you don't stop that bleeding, like death is imminent. Or there is a sprained ankle. Um, which one do you address and, and deal with first? Well, if you the first thing you see is a sprained ankle, and you're like, that's got to be the most serious, and you try to attend to that, well, within minutes, you've got a dead individual in front of you because you have not triaged carefully. You have not identified that there's actually a much more significant issue that you need to treat first, the, the ankle you can get to when it's appropriate. But first and foremost is this artery, like this bleeding out that has to be dealt with. In the same way, I think one of the first things that we need to do in order to really learn how to to disagree well, how to um, be the people of God who can be distinct and have conviction and passion and belief about doctrine and God's word and not be jerks about it and not create division about it, is to be able to categorize our places of disagreement theologically and triage them to know what are things that actually place us outside of the family of God. We're talking about core things. What are things that are opinions? What are things that um, have good preferences and and have consequences to them, but they shouldn't create division? And so um, I'm, I'm going to give us uh, three categories. You can actually go into four. You can get a little bit more detailed. Um, I believe it's Gavin Ortland. Gavin Hortland. Ortland has an incredible book. Um, it's uh, Finding the Right Hills to Die On. It's on my library right over there. It's phenomenal. Um, and if you want, I'll link to it in the show notes. Um, I think that that's a great book to start with because Gavin pastorally, theologically helps us walk through pri- like, what are the doctrines that we should be thinking about? Where should they be categorized? But for the sake of this video, um, this podcast episode, I'm just going like, to um, summarize them. Right? I'm going to summarize them into these three categories, essentials, secondary, and tertiary. Essentials, secondary, and tertiary. What are the essentials? These are foundational pillar elements of the faith. If you disagree on one of these things, this is a question of whether you're actually part of the family of God or not. Um, This is serious. Here's some examples. The oneness of God, the Trinity, I would categorize that as an essential. The divinity of Christ, that Christ is 100% um, man, 100% God, that Christ uh, came in the incarnation. Um, He lived a a perfect life. He did not sin, and yet he died on a cross to make atonement for our sins, um, being essentially the Old Testament scapegoat so that our sin would be placed upon him, that we would gain his righteousness he gets our unrighteousness and yet because he's the perfect spot, spotless lamb of god he is victorious over sin's henchman death himself and in so doing, invites us into new life with him, to so the divinity of Christ. Um, the other one is the inerrancy and the sufficiency of the scriptures, that God's word is breathed by God, God himself, that he has directed human authors in order to pen these words in such a way that they will bring us life and holiness and lead us into living and walking in the ways of Christ, um, that the only way to the Father is through the Son, Jesus. Um, this is salvation. Issues of salvation that there is nothing that you can, you and I can do in order to grant ourselves salvation. We can't work to achieve it. That the door is narrow, the path is narrow, and the narrowness of it is actually significantly simple because all you were looking at is Jesus, right? So these are these are what I would call essential. There's more there. These are essentials. If somebody comes up to you and they're like, "Hey, I don't believe that Jesus actually," um, uh, conquered sin and death. That's red flag. That's not a red flag. That's like the house is burning down, <laughs> smoldering. Okay, um, serious things that change our level of intimacy and and, and fundamental fellowship. The next one is secondary. Uh, the, this is what what I talk about when I say sometimes division might be necessary or a type of separation might be necessary. The secondary category is where I think denominational um, context. Uh, networks are so helpful because you can disagree on these things, still be part of the family of God. But for the sake of unity in general, it's probably good that um, you gather with those that hold the same position as so uh, not to create strife or disunity. Things like the nature of baptism, right? Um, uh, infant baptism or adult baptism, depending on where you land. If you are like credo baptism, adult baptism all the way, you might land with a more Baptist leaning denomination. If you're like, no, pedo baptism all the way, like covenantally, you might land with Presbyterians or others that, um, denominations that see validity uh, scripturally, theologically in infant baptism. Um, uh, eschatology, where you land eschatologically in your view of end times and how that plays out, the nature of spiritual gifts. If you're a continuationist or cessationist, if you believe that the, all the miraculous gifts of the Spirit are still active and present today, or if you believe that those gifts have died out, the miraculous gifts have died out after that first century with the apostles. Like Depending on where you land on these secondary issues, there might be prudence in a separation in terms of, you know, I'm going to go to this church here because I am personally, as a, and us as a, a family, we're convinced theologically of this area, and because we want to fight for the unity of God's people and don't want to create chaos or disunity in other places, we're going to find ourselves um, in this denomination or this type of church, and there could be wisdom there. Or you could be called to go to a place for all kinds of other reasons, and you find yourself disagreeing on secondary issues. But if you find yourself called to a church and you disagree on secondary issues, think about John 17. Pray and fight for unity, which means don't cause dissension, you know? Have conversation, share maybe your thoughts, um, but Be wise on who you're sharing with and the level of maturity that these individuals might have or might not have in order to engage in such a way that it won't create chaos or dissension inside of the church. And the last one is tertiary. Um, These are things, honestly, like we shouldn't fight about, we shouldn't bicker about, have your opinion about it, great. But man, please, (laughs) for heaven's sakes, please do not create disunity over these things. I might even go so far as to say that intentionally causing disunity over these types of things is sinful. Um, what are tertiary types of things? The vibe or the aesthetic of the church building? Do you like pews? Do you like a gymnasium? Right? The style of music. Are you a, um, full band type of person? Are you a, um, pipe and organ kind of person? Like, um, uh, and this one, it kind of flows between secondary and tertiary, tertiary, but like liturgy maybe, you know, are you a fan of a more liturgical kind of formal, you know, um, or, or not like, man, um, be committed to unity and be okay with your preferences being pushed on. Because that's actually a path of humility that actually leads to sanctification. There was a long period of time in my life personally, in our family's life, that we were a part of a church, this is over a decade ago, that we loved, we were members of, we served at, that I had secondary and tertiary differences. Like, like just, but for so many other reasons. The preaching of the word, the community that was there, the way that this church community loved them, my wife and my children. I was traveling quite a bit in that season. Like All of those reasons were like, no, we belong here. And while we're committed to being here, I'm going to learn as much as I can about these things that I don't agree with theologically, that are secondary and tertiary, and I'm going to do my very best to, in the areas of disagreement, have right conversations with the right people to really kind of iron sharpens iron and to grow. And at the end of it, like have coffee, be in relationship, be in small group, like fight for that sense of unity. Um, and so, um, understanding, having this kind of understanding of where the, the discussion places us in terms of the essentials and the non-essentials will actually frame how you and I pursue the conversation with the people that we're disagreeing with and what the implications of that disagreement are. Here's an example. Disagreement on essentials requires separation, so that first category, in terms of if you're actually a Christian or not, if you're within the family of God or not. But disagreement on secondary issues may lead you to find your place in a particular denomination while still being in the family of God, universal. And then disagreement on that third level, tertiary, probably shouldn't create any separation, but just an agree-to-disagree situation and fight for unity. Um, A couple things that you want to be thinking through as you're navigating disagreements theologically um, biblically, one seek to understand and learn the other position first, and and have a desire to be able to explain it better than the opposition. If you can't do this, right? So, for instance, if you have really strong opinions on um, on your eschatology and you believe in the rapture, you're like, absolutely, there's going to be a rapture, um, and it might be, you know, um, a pre trip, post trip, whatever it might be and you disagree with the millennial position, just as a summary, the position believes that we're living in the millennium right now, that there is no second um, or intermediate rapture, that when Jesus comes back a second time, that is the rapture, like Jesus coming back to establish his kingdom. So if you disagree with that p- position, fight to be able to articulate that position better than the people who actually hold that position. And here's just my personal thought and suggestion to you. If you can't do that, You probably shouldn't be critiquing it publicly. So this by itself actually will create a boundary on whether or not you should publicly do this or or not, or it's invitation to in privacy, seek to learn, pray, seek the Holy Spirit, grow in your understanding um, so that when you do engage in this disagreement, you're thoughtful, you're kind and considerate, and you have a real understanding of the opposite side. Um, Here's the next one. We want to critique the argument, not the person. When you critique the person in the process of critiquing the, that argument, the, it's a technical term called ad hominem. Um, why make it personal? Why go there? You know, uh, Attack the argument, the thought, the idea itself without attacking the person. If you find yourself having to attack the person themselves, again, just me here, I kind of hold to the view that if it requires that, then the substance of your actual argument against that position is probably not that great in the first place if it takes low like like having to go against somebody's um like personhood like if you have to make it personal here's the next one you want to ask yourself this question what will this disagreement produce what is this disagreement going to produce what is it doing inside of me and what is it doing to those around me what is it doing inside of me and what is it doing to those around me If this disagreement is going to inside of you create hostility and chaos and dysfunction, it ain't worth it, friend. If it is going to create those things in my environment, it ain't worth it. But if it's going to create a humble heart and an opportunity to learn and to grow, man, that could be really winsome. That could be really beneficial. So just really consider that. And then um, if whatever it does produce is contrary to the unity of the family of God, simply We have a problem. We have a problem. Um, It is very possible to have a disagreement and have both people potentially be right in their own view, and their own position. I'm not saying this happens all the time, but it does happen. I think a great example is Acts 15, 36 through 41, where um, there's this disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. This is where it says, after some time had passed, I'm reading from the CSB translation, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers and sisters in every town where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take along John, who was called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to the work. They had such a sharp disagreement. I mean, the Greek phrase here, they were really going at it short of coming to blows. And they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed after being commended by the brothers and sisters to the grace of the Lord. He traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Big question. Are you team Paul or are you team Barnabas? Who is right and who is wrong? What's so fascinating to me about this is actually both have a great like re- rationale. Paul's like, dude, John Mark bailed on us last time we went out on a missionary journey. And this is important stuff that we're doing. We can't have people who are just going to bail on us last minute. So no, he can't come with us. Barnabas, is, who's the encourager, his name means the encourager. He's like, man, this is my cousin. Let's give him a second chance. To disciple him, and what an incredible opportunity for Barnabas to take John Mark to disciple him and go one direction, and for Paul to take um, uh, take Silas and to go to a different direction. And here, in the midst of a disagreement, they were able to maintain unity even in the midst of a type of separation. And the gospel spreads in two different directions. And the big question: Well, who is right and who is wrong? I think they both were right. And I think the text argues for that. Why? In verse 40, it says, but Paul chose Silas and departed after being commended by the brothers and sisters. But if you read that whole sentence, it's talking about Barnabas takes Mark, Paul takes Silas. So who are the ones being commended? It's not isolated only to Paul. It actually goes all the way back to Barnabas and Mark. They both were commended by the brothers and sisters to the grace of the Lord. And then they go into these different places um i think that it is very important that you and i um really work hard to fight really fight for unity um that we learn how to disagree theologically as christians because going back to john 17 the way in which we disagree And the potential of unity in the midst of that disagreement, it is a viable witness to the world of the goodness of God's family and the cost and consequence of our inability to disagree well, to choose infighting and division, it shows the non-viability of the family of God what a severe and serious consequence for our inability or lack of pursuit and humility to do the very thing that Jesus prays for us to pursue. I hope this was a helpful um, conversation for you as you navigate theological disagreement and differences as you're reading the scriptures. if this was helpful for you, go ahead and hit the subscribe button. Uh, if you're watching on Humble Theology on YouTube, um, you can hit that subscribe button there. Or if you're on the podcast on Apple or Spotify, you can follow the Theology Talk podcast and um, we'll have more of these. But I really hope that this is a practical encouragement for why we ought to learn um, as Christians how to disagree well.